Your business gets to a certain size and the cracks start to emerge. Things you used to do in a day, they're taking a week. You have too many manual processes. You don't have one source of truth. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. 1. Because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, and one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecast, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. Having all of your business's information in one place is a powerful thing because it allows you to make better decisions, which is why NetSuite's unprecedented offer to make this possible is something to take advantage of. Don't wait. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist, designed to give you consistently excellent performance, absolutely free, at netsuite.com strange. That's netsuite.com strange to get your own KPI checklist. NetSuite.com slash strange. I'm Laura Norton, and this is One Strange Thing, the show where we search the nation's news archives for stories that can't quite be explained. Today, we'd like to take a moment to honor what has become perhaps our most beleaguered state, Ohio. The butt of meme jokes, current home to all creepypasta monsters, a state that by some silent agreement of the zeitgeist has become the New Jersey of the 21st century. And now that we have TikTok, well, a whole new world of Ohio slander has opened up before us. In our opinion though, Ohio has a lot to offer. Not only is it very easy to spell, looking at you, Massachusetts, but more important to our area of interest, Ohio has its fair share of strange. We might tell you any number of things about haunted tunnels and lighthouses and werewolves, not all at the same time, mind you, and keep you steeped in paranormal fun for a year. But today, we want to introduce you to a cryptid who we think, like its home state, deserves our attention. The Ohio Grassman. Now, you might call the Ohio Grassman just another Bigfoot, but each region has its own stories, and the Midwest is not the Pacific Northwest or the Southeast. Sasquatch, Skunk Ape, Big Muddy Monster, even Momo, not the terrifying bird lady, but a primate-like cryptid straight out of Missouri are all similar, sure, but each shaggy beast has its own special local flavor. A flavor that's created, largely, by the people who live where the beasts are purported to exist. And the Ohio Grassman, also known as Orange Eyes or the Minerva Monster, belongs to the forests of Ohio. In fact, based on the legends surrounding it, the Ohio Grassman just might have been hiding in those Midwest woods for a few centuries. 
But let's start a little closer to the current day. In Ohio, there's a state park, Salt Fork it's called, that's known to be one of the most popular places in America to spot a Bigfoot. Or Bigfoots. Or you might say a grassman or grassmen. We're getting distracted by grammar. Moving on. The splashiest proof of said monster came in 2020 when two intrepid young men with drones claimed to have captured footage of a Sasquatch-like creature in that very park. And then they did what any self-respecting adventurer does in the digital age. They uploaded that footage to YouTube. In January of 2020, the men, described as locals, took a walk they told reporters they'd been on plenty of times before. Per the Daily Jeffersonian, they encountered what they described as a, quote, Bigfoot in the park. This is not wholly unusual for Salt Fork. As we said, it's one of the hottest places outside of the Pacific Northwest to sight a Sasquatch. In fact, the Mail noted that there had been, quote, 36 sightings of Bigfoot at the same park. What's different about this one is the footage. The men who captured the experience posted under an account called Salt Fork, Ohio Grassman. According to the Columbus Dispatch, the footage lasts about 10 minutes, and even from its initial upload, it was, well, divisive. Within a few days of posting, the Dispatch reported that the video had close to 300,000 views and plenty of activity in the comments. But it seems that the Bigfoot spotting hopefuls were somewhat disappointed by what they saw. What does the video show? Well, strangers, we watched it so you won't have to. The footage was shot with drones and GoPros and showed some hair and bones. The video makers described them as, quote, ripped apart deer bones and a lot of crunching around in leaves and eventually snow. There's some drone footage of a few blackish blurs and then footage of, well, something walking in the woods. If we were pressed, we might say it's best described as someone with a painful foot condition stomping around in a black snowsuit, or maybe a fur coat. But don't take our word for it. The YouTube commenters had a wide range of opinions. We've selected just a few for you to consider. Back around 2000, a friend and I were driving through Salt Fork just after dusk. Off to the left, a creature was sitting in the brush with its back to the road, black and hairy. As my car lights approached, the creature kind of stood and dove back into the brush. We just assumed it was a bear, but now I wonder. The shoulder area of this thing is more rounded than the one I saw. The one I saw looked athletic, but it was nearly the same color. I think it's weird that it stayed at the same distance from the camera and acted like they weren't witnessed. The one I saw was very aware and seemed to have more strength and potential aggression. Mine disappeared behind a tree. Personally, I think this was a test of my response. Well, guys, great work. I think you did get the Ohio Grassman, and he is a Bigfoot Sasquatch humanoid. I call him the big man of the forest. Make sure you leave plenty of apples and candy bars. They love them. Also, peanut butter with the lid cracked so they can get into it. Pretty sure that's my shirtless uncle mushroom hunting. He is one hairy fella. I think you guys were smoking too much grass, man. 
Looks like he has the same gait as an old man walking out of a deli. All in all, there are 700 or so comments on the original video. Perhaps the makers hope to make a splash with the tape. After all, they wouldn't be the first to try and profit off a Bigfoot-like creature in Ohio. The particularities of the Grassman, a beast that made nests for sleeping, thus its name, was simply part of its commercial charm. Find a footprint, find some droppings, find a nest. Come on down and see our monsters. In fact, in the town of Minerva and in the little villages surrounding it, the Ohio Grassman was big business, at least for a while. It makes sense considering the area is the site of the most famous Ohio Grassman sightings of all time, which took place back in 1978. Now, when a cryptid is a source of commerce, well, we can understand how some might assume that the citizens who are at the center of the tale are out for fame and fortune. And according to the documentary, The Minerva Monster, the town of Minerva was pleased to use Bigfoot to advertise restaurant specials and design funny signs at the local car wash. Likely, there were plenty who prospered. That would mean, for most folks, that they'd have a vested interest in making up tales of big hairy beasts in their backyard. Or some of them might. Except for one strange thing. The people who were at the center of the 1978 experiences with the creature, they never gained anything from it, unless you count derision, harassment, and an ongoing and very public headache. In fact, those people, the Caton family, had never even heard the word Bigfoot until excited fans showed up in their front yard with guns, cameras, and hunting dogs in tow. All the Catons knew was that there'd been something in their woods, and that they'd lived in some kind of uneasy harmony with strange noises and activities for more than a decade. That is, until they didn't. Until, as they told it, the creature, or creatures, decided to get a little, well, more familiar. So to tell the Catons' story, we traveled to Northeast Ohio, to the Paris Township, that's a little village near Minerva. As a landmark, it may not be helpful because the town is not exactly a sprawling metropolis itself, but it's important to our story because the creature we're discussing today is sometimes named for it, likely because the Paris Township monster has less of a ring. When the main activity occurred there, the Ohio Grassman moniker hadn't really caught on, but the signs of its presence, which believers claim are telltale nests of grasses and weeds, were in place. So, Harris Township has become a central point in Ohio grassman lore. You can't have a grassman, after all, without grass. Hey there, strangers. I want to tell you about a podcast that I think you'll like. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve Deshavi 
investigate paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from two totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy is a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of a haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. Really, this is the perfect podcast for fans of One Strange Thing. All the paranormal activity that you love and the great research that you've come to rely on. So, listen to The Dead Files, wherever you get your podcasts. Looking for creepy stories? Then we might have a podcast for you. And now, presenting Rattled and Shook. Rattled and Shook is a weekly podcast that features new scary stories every episode. Kind of like this. I would hear her say things to me inside my head. I couldn't get around him. I was trapped. The other guy started to get pretty agitated. He grabbed my grandfather's oxygen hose and he cut off his oxygen. Then I started thinking, well, you know, who would be hanging around in this nowhere forest, in this nowhere area? And that's when I started looking more closely. And that's when I noticed there were several shapes. And they were slowly working their way toward me as they were moving from tree to tree. New episodes of Rattled and Shook are out every Thursday. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure you've heard the old adage that you should learn something new every day. It's good advice, but with so much to do, are you making time to learn and stay curious about our world? Well, with Everything Everywhere Daily, you can easily make that goal a reality. Everything Everywhere Daily is one of the world's most popular daily education podcasts. In about 10 minutes, you can learn something new every day. The show covers history, science, geography, mathematics, and technology, as well as biographies from some of the world's most interesting people. One listener says the show truly makes my day more enjoyable and entertaining. Fans of the show are so passionate, they even work to join the Completionist Club, the group of dedicated listeners who've listened to all 900 plus and counting episodes. I highly recommend you check out Everything Everywhere Daily's recent episodes on Why Are There No Flying Cars? and The Little Ice Age That Happened 700 Years Ago. Learn something new every single day with Everything Everywhere Daily. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Moving on. According to the documentary The Minerva Monster, though Minerva stretches over two counties, Stark and Carroll, it's only got a population of around 3,000. Lots of the tiny villages surrounding it tend to get grouped into its municipal services, too. The former sheriff's deputy interviewed in the film said that his usual rounds took him to various townships. On the 21st of August, 1978, Mr. and Mrs. Herbert Caton and their family of Paris Township became the stars in an unfolding cryptid story. The Catons and a variety of their friends and relatives, a mishmash of adult children and grandchildren and in-laws, became the focus of statewide and eventually nationwide news coverage when they reported that a creature or creatures had invaded their property. What actually happened wasn't the most fantastic event we've ever covered, but it has a ring of authenticity that so many stories lack. Not so much because of cold, hard evidence, but because of the reticence of the witnesses, who had both a lot of common sense and a strong desire to be left alone. What the town of Minerva decided to do with their experiences afterward, from a tourism perspective, wasn't up to them. A woman named Barbara Mudrick was a local reporter back in 1978. Her coverage of what happened in Paris Township would eventually be picked up in newspapers across the state. She was one of the first people, besides local deputy James Shannon, to speak extensively with the Caton family. Barbara captured the Caton story in 1978 when the family said strange activity ramped up around their home. But it seems all hadn't been serene until then. Per one of Barbara's many articles in the Akron Beacon Reporter, though the Caton sightings were the most publicized, they weren't the only in the Minerva area. Reports had been coming in to local authorities around Paris Township for weeks. But the Caton's property was certainly the liveliest. In fact, as the Minerva Monster documentary noted, the family had noticed activity for years. The Catons were pretty convinced that something was in the woods, simply based on the noises they heard, the odd shadow or creak or flash in the corner of their eyes. Sometimes rocks were tossed at the house. Not very big ones, we assume, as they hadn't bothered to report it. It had all been, well, not polite, necessarily, but there hadn't been the kind of direct contact that the Catons called the sheriff about in the summer of 1978. Up until then, they just let things go. That is, until they came face to face with the thing that had been causing all that noise. According to the Beacon Journal, it all seems to have really started when the Catons did some landscaping. They'd gone in and removed some overgrowth from around an old strip mine that sat on their property. It had certainly cleared out some mess, but it also revealed what the paper described as, quote, large areas of matted grass and weeds that looked as though a large animal or person had been lying there. Strangers, if you just thought, aha, the grass man cometh, then you've been paying attention. You're our favorite listeners. But the Catons weren't looking for signs of a Bigfoot. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, They'd never even heard of such a thing, much less a specific Ohio variety. As far as they knew, some big animal, maybe even a human, had been sleeping in their woods. But then other things began to happen too. In the Minerva Monster documentary, the Catons' now middle-aged son 
recalled another frightening event that occurred during those weeks of sudden monster activity. A German Shepherd guard dog that they'd recently inherited from a neighbor was found mysteriously dead during the height of the monster sightings. It was an outdoor pet kept leashed at night. At the time, they assumed there'd been an accident with the dog's lead. But afterward, well, they wondered. Mrs. Caton told the Akron Beacon Journal that it was the youngest members of their family who had the first in-person contact with the creature in the woods. The Caton grandchildren ran in the house all crying and screaming when they'd only moments before been happily playing outside. They described having seen something large, hairy, and terrifying near the cleared strip mine area. When Mrs. Caton and her adult children went up to investigate, they were confronted with a large, dark shape. Something of about six feet and 300 pounds with hair like the kind you see on those big stuffed animals you see at fairs. Mrs. Caton did not wait to see what it would do. As she told the beacon, it didn't move, but I about broke my neck running down the hill. She'd later glimpse it again at the bottom of the strip mine. But the family's most, well, let's say exciting encounter came in August. That's when they finally called the sheriff in and when Barbara the reporter caught wind of the story. The large family, adult children, grandchildren, friends, and the like were gathered at the Caton home one evening when, outside the window, they saw something. Something that we can say with certainty that we have never cataloged in another creature tale. There, in their yard, was the enormous, hairy beast that they'd seen before. But this time, as the Akron Beacon Journal told, it was, well, it was sitting on their chicken coop. Crouching, if you like. Mrs. Caton told the Beacon Journal that when they went out to investigate, people who were willing to go out and investigate, we do salute you. Not one but, quote, two pairs of eyes were reflected in the beam of their flashlight. So the hairy beast on the chicken coop had brought along some company, a smaller creature, it seemed. The Beacon Journal reported that the larger creature seemed to take a protective stance over the smaller one. They shied away from the flashlights and were lost in the deep night. And that might have been the end of it, except a friend of the family, Scott Patterson, decided that they needed a little more light and decided to pull his car into the yard. When he flooded the area with his headlights, the giant grass man reappeared. And it seemed unhappy. This was clear when it raced toward the car. Everyone else was still out in the yard and very distinctly unprotected by a thousand pounds of metal, so they ran for the house. When they got back inside, things seemed quiet, but the Catons and their guests began to look around for weapons. According to the Akron Beacon Journal, they were sitting in the kitchen loading guns, quote, less than 10 feet from a large window when the creature suddenly appeared on the other side of the glass. Though the creature was bathed in an outdoor light, its features weren't clear. But the witnesses described, quote, the creature as having short, stubby legs and weighing more than 300 pounds. Mrs. Caton decided that night for sure that it wasn't any kind of person out there or any kind of hoax. She told the journal she was sure of that when she aimed her 22 caliber rifle out the window. It didn't even move when I got out the rifle. It just stood there for about 10 minutes. If it had been a person, he would have run if he saw the rifle pointed at him. 
That's where the paper's coverage ends, for that night at least. But in the Minerva Monster documentary, the Caton's youngest son added another detail. After the monster finally disappeared that evening, the family heard what sounded like footsteps on the roof of their home. At the time, Sheriff Deputy James Shannon told the Times recorder, When I got there, the people were visibly shaken and some were even afraid to go to sleep. It was obvious they saw something, but what? I'm skeptical about it myself. There were two footprints. One was distinguishable, the other not so good. The sheriff's office couldn't do much that night. In the daylight, the deputies did search and, per the Beacon Journal, didn't see what they expected, namely, signs of a large animal. But there were signs that something large had been in the underbrush near the strip pit, a kind of broken path. The journal said that, eventually, more footprints were discovered, and they measured anywhere from 14 to 21 inches. There were other occurrences taken as signs, too. As the Akron Beacon Journal wrote, food left out at night, specifically produce, disappeared. But this wasn't evidence that law enforcement counted as proof positive. The Catons, however, were convinced. Vicky, the Catons' adult daughter, said, I wish it would go away, but then I wish it won't. I want somebody besides us, family and friends, to see it. At the time, the elder Mrs. Caton told the Beacon Journal, I hope someone catches it or takes a picture of it so they know the people of Paris Township aren't imagining things. Mrs. Caton certainly seemed tough. Any grandmother pointing shotguns meets that criteria in our book, but the events were stressful, and it only got worse once the news began to spread, because that brought the family attention. Per the Akron Beacon reporter, Mrs. Caton, quote, suffered from a peptic ulcer and thyroid tumor and said her doctors have ordered her to avoid emotional distress or her condition may become critical. Unfortunately, emotional distress was the order of the day around the Caton residence because, as the journal noted, the Catons were suddenly besieged by onlookers. People drove by at all hours to hoot and holler at their home. Tourists slowed down to get a look. Bigfoot experts arrived. And then there were the hunters. Per Barbara Mudrick's ongoing reporting, some of the hunters were armed with whatever they saw fit, including a quintet from Akron who brought along what they described as a, quote, trained killer Doberman. As Mrs. Caton told the Akron Beacon Journal, this isn't a sideshow. But those gathering outside her house, they seemed to disagree. It seemed, at least in 1978, that the looky-loos were a bigger problem than the creatures who the Catons had originally complained about to police. And if the monster was going to make a reappearance, it certainly would have been dissuaded by all the traffic at the Caton property. And though the town of Minerva would eventually embrace the story of the Grassman, the Catons, at the time at least, were the subject of local ridicule. As the Beacon Journal reported, they endured endless honking and, quote, obscene gestures from passers-by, even as the crowds began to thin. But the commercialization of the Grassman picked up and eventually became a town mainstay. So, what happened to the Catons? A year after the initial spate of sightings, someone wrote into the Akron Beacon Journal to ask for updates in the case, and the paper duly went to the Stark County Sheriff's Office. 
the chief deputy told the paper, I've been on the force for 30 years now, and every few years, someone cites something in this area. It crops up for a while, then it dies out for a few years. He told the paper that though his office searched via, quote, horses, jeeps, and even a helicopter in the dense woods, no evidence was found. And as for the family, the Marion Star reported that, quote, despite heavy harassment, the Catons have never changed their story. A former reporter who'd covered the story at the time told the Star that she was sure that the family had experienced something. Whether it was a grass man, well, she couldn't say. But she believed that they'd seen something strange. Former Deputy James Shannon, he also agreed that the Catons had always seemed legitimate in their fears. He'd never thought that they were enacting a hoax, but he wasn't willing to say they'd seen a fantastic creature. So what might have been out there by that old mine, if not a Bigfoot-like creature with a love for the Midwest? Well, bears have been the most popular answer, with bear cubs or even small cougars, though why they'd be hanging out together, we can't say, as the most popular solution to the puzzle. But per the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, Wildlife Division, quote, there were no bears in the area at the time, something that their Akron office confirmed for the Beacon Journal. And cougars, or non-existent bears, they don't throw rocks last we checked. For the first time in the history of this podcast, no one directly suggested, at least in the newspaper, that the Catons had just seen a man in a fur suit. And the Catons, well, never gained anything from the attention besides people with killer Dobermans trying to camp in their front yard. We can't say what they experienced out there in the Midwest, where their grass was flattened and they heard footsteps at night and saw eyes staring back at them with only a little glass to separate the wild from the tame. But we think, on the balance of things, that we'll side with the reporter, Barbara Mudrick, and the deputy, James Shannon. The Caton family, they experienced something incredible. And unlike everyone else, well, they didn't even get the merchandising rights. We hope you'll join us next time for another real-life story from the fine print of America's local papers, from the lives of regular people just like you and me, except for one strange thing. Oh, and strangers. One Strange Thing is an independently produced podcast. To support the show and to hear more of the entirely true and enticingly peculiar, join us if we're on Patreon. There you'll get ad-free early releases of our regular episodes, plus full-length bonus episodes, blogs, and live streams, all for $5 a month. We hope you'll check it out. There's a link in our show notes. Thank you.